Welcome to Pennycast, where we will catch up with a range of interesting people, exploring themes around the four pillars of financial freedom, growing wealth, family, protection and community, and providing ideas and inspiration to live a more meaningful life. Hi, I'm Alan Thorne, and I'm delighted you could join us for this latest edition of Pennycast, the podcast by Penny Financial Partners. Every year, there are a number of dates that we like to make sure we remember. Birthdays, anniversaries, and if you're focused on achieving financial well-being, then also the end of the financial year, which falls on April the 5th. Every year before this date, we all have a range of tax reliefs and allowances available to us to ensure that our finances are as tax efficient as possible. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sam Johnston, a financial consultant at Penny Financial Partners, to have a look at some of the available opportunities that we should all consider before the April 5th deadline. So, good afternoon, Sam. Hi, Alan. Thanks for having me. So, we're, so the tax year end is approaching, and as I just mentioned, an important time of year for all of us, um, particularly those who are, you know, like you said, looking to be as uh, tax efficient as possible. But I guess it's... Um, it's more than just that, is it? I mean, why why is this such an important time of the year and, and potentially why is this such an important year for, for people to really be thinking about this? Yeah, re- really good question, Alan. And I think first and uh, foremost in addressing that is to kind of unpick a, why tax year end has become this date that a lot of people remember. And I think in essence, it's driven by the fact that that's when our allowances for each tax year lapse and then refresh. Most of those allowances are on a use it or lose it basis. So if we don't use those allowances in a tax year, we can't have them back. The one that most people are aware of is their 20,000 ISLA allowance, for example. And the reason we see that as being so important is clients that we work with that have been diligent about being tax efficient over the long term, typically are able to achieve their financial aspirations with more certainty and often faster than they would have expected if they hadn't been as tax efficient. So so it isn't just about, so, so there's very much a long-term kind of orientation message as well, as much as taking action today, this is really about, it's also about getting into good habits fundamentally, about making sure that you're doing this every year because the the opportunities are significant over the long term, as you say. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it, it plays into the principles of, of good financial planning that we hold is, is being as tax efficient as possible. And this is a huge part of that. I think if we look a bit more right now are based on what's going on today, there's also some things that are going on in the world that make it as important as ever to be thinking about some of these things. So it it's not, it, it shouldn't come as a shock to anyone that we're in a period of high inflation. It's it's been spoken about readily on, on the news and uh, a lot of the media outlets are covering it. And in our world as financial planners, I guess inflation is often seen as the silent killer. Um, Essentially, what inflation means is the the value of our money and its spending power is being eroded over time. Um, and that's why it's important to ensure that our cash savings where where relevant are in an environment that 
they're going to maintain their spending power, um, if not increase it over time. Uh, it's it's also not a shock to most people to know that we're we're entering into a period where taxation is rising. Um, the council has been very generous in a lot of people's eyes with the the financial support that's been offered during the the coronavirus uh, crisis and. He's coming into a period where he needs to rebalance his books a little bit. So, you know, we are seeing a higher level of taxation generally across the board. And being tax optimised gives us the opportunity of retaining as much of, of the income or the money that we earn as possible. Um, I think they're two real pertinent points at the moment. Yeah. And so I guess the, 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 the point here as well is that this isn't just you know, the, the tax year end and the fact that, you know, like you say, we're in an inflationary period at the moment. We're in, you know, a high tax period at the moment as well. Um, but really, this is this is something that affects everybody. This isn't just a certain uh, a certain group that should be focusing on, on tax year end. Really, there are opportunities to make a difference, regardless of what stage of life you might be in. Absolutely. Yeah. And to just to, I guess, run through some of the examples of how that how we're seeing that play out amongst our client base is we work, as most people will know, across the spectrum uh, of different ages and stages in life. So let's if we were to take the time to look at someone that's starting out, so they're building a foundation for their future. Um, it's important for them at the moment to be making sure their money is working as, as hard as it possibly can for them. It may be that they're looking to buy a house in the, kind of the medium term. So in the next sort of five years and if that was the case are any of their savings earning them enough interest to keep pace with the rising cost of housing um are they thinking about starting a family in the future and want to build a bit of a nest egg so that that's a financially secure thing for them to do um generally making the most of any excess income that they've got and and saving can into a tax efficient environment can be a great way to do that um, as we move down the spectrum uh looking at people that want to secure their, their family's financial future saving for school fees is one thing that we see quite a lot of um are we making the right roads into getting a decent start on saving for our retirement you know it's, it's almost never too early to do that uh, so helping our clients that are that have built a good foundation take the next steps towards securing their their life after work i guess um and then you get our clients where retiring is a little bit more imminent and you know they've built up assets um maybe maybe pensions stocks and shares ices the like and it's how can we continue to use those in the the more uh, short term and make sure they're arranged in a way that ensures they can retire in style when they want to, you know, being able to do the things that are going to put a smile on their face. And and ultimately we end up with with clients that are looking to ensure that they can leave the best legacy possible to the to their their loved ones. Um, and that can be making use of gifting allowances on an annual basis. Um, that can be making sure that estates are structured in a really inheritance tax efficient way and it's always then a balance of, of ensuring assets provide what our clients want during their lifetime but can give the best outcome for their beneficiaries as well long term 
Fantastic. So, so this is the first of two two podcasts. Uh, Sam, I'm, I'm delighted we're going to be joined by by another one of your uh, one of your colleagues for a, a second podcast to look at some of the opportunities around tax year end. So, so just in this uh, in this podcast today, in this episode of, of Pennycast, we were, I guess, the first thing, and you did touch on this before, is is uh, is ISAs. Now, it's interesting. We were we were we were just we we we've talked about ISAs previously, and and it's uh, it's interesting. I think. Lots of people, and I think of myself included, I've got ISAs for my kids, which came, which were, um, you know, which were started very young, um, the, the kind of the child trust fund, and then they changed over to ISAs. So it's kind of people almost have got ISAs by accident. Um, but I think when we were looking at the numbers of people with ISAs, uh, there was a surprisingly few, considering how, uh, well, the potential of, of, of what the ISA can offer. Yeah, and I think it can be down to a little bit of misinformation sometimes about ISAs and and how they can really be used in, in an impactful way. Um, most people are aware that ISAs are, are great, um, but we try and go a little bit further with that and tell people why, why are they so good? And for example, if you have an ISA, um, any of the investments that you hold within an ISA are free from income tax, they're free from capital gains, and there's no dividends tax on anything that's that's paid or capital withdrawals or income um, from that investment. Generally, they can be structured in quite a simple way. And because of the lack of tax implication down the line, they're viewed as a very simplistic method of being able to create a really powerful asset often invested in stocks and shares in part or full. Um, and so just on that point, so um, so there's there's a there are different kinds of ISAs. Yeah. Uh, so so I mean just touch on there, what kind of ISAs could you, you know, I guess it's all about risk fundamentally. Would that be is that fair? Is in, in terms of in terms of the kind of ISAs that you might look at? Yeah, uh, most people will be aware that you can have a cash ISA. Um, one of the disappointing things in relation to a cash ISA and what we've seen in recent times is that the interest rates available for a cash ISA are, are pretty poor compared to what people have historically been used to. I think, you know, if we look at the best interest rates available last month, you're sort of looking in a 0.67% return per annum. For, for a cash ISA, um, whereas you know a well-structured medium risk portfolio uh, amongst the St James's Place range may be able to return somewhere in the region of four to seven percent on average. That that's kind of has been the historical performance. So a big difference when comparing the the two, um, and we're certainly not comparing apples with apples there. As a, as you rightly say. And a cash ISA, there's no risk involved in that. Whereas with a stocks and shares ISA, there will be some. Um, and that's driven by how far or how much do we invest in stocks and shares primarily. And and so on that basis, I mean, obviously we're, we're running around 5% inflation at the moment, but actually, you know, it probably feels a bit more than that and it probably will become more than that. So even looking at, you know, the ups and downs of, you know, market performance in terms of stocks and shares, ISA. I mean, the reality is, if you're in for the longer term, there's a very good chance that you, you know, you could potentially outperform inflation if you 
you know, using using ISAs uh, efficiently. Yeah, I think one of the, the the key points that we always look to is a commitment to spending a significant amount of time in the market with the stocks and shares ISA. Generally, we would get comfortable that it's the right thing to do if we can be sure that the money's going to be in there for at least a period of five years. And and we kind of draw that as a line in the sun based on evidence that there's been very few periods in history where over a five-year rolling period, stocks and shares and, and exposure to stocks and shares hasn't yielded better returns than holding cash. Right. Um, any shorter than a five-year period, um, we are a little bit at the mercy of what markets do. But if we take the, the medium to long term view of a, this is a principle of mine that I'm making use of my allowance in a tax efficient way that's going to be exposed to some degree to the stock market, we've seen that that's paid dividends in the long run. And and so in terms of, I guess, how much you can invest in there, I mean, what kind of numbers are we talking about? What the what the what's the current kind of limitation what's the current allowances what's the current opportunity for that for, for an ISA for ISAs yeah ISA allowances are an interesting one so they they've been they've quietly crept up over the years so now you can invest £20,000 in, in an adult ISA in any one tax year which is a significant an improvement on when they first come out I think they, it was capped at sort of £5,000 so there's now a, a chance to do some really meaningful work with that um you you mentioned earlier, Alan, about you know child trust funds and, and junior ISAs. So that's spoke about even less. So children now under the age of eighteen can have a, a junior ISA, uh, and that comes with its own allowance of, of nine thousand pounds a year. Again, if you were were looking to save for your children, grandchildren, and that was a medium to long term investment for their financial benefit in the future. A junior ISA can be can be a fantastic place to start as well. And and just to touch on the junior ISAs, am I right in thinking that um, there's a low allowance, but just so technically, I mean, a it sits outside your estate from a, from a IHT from an inheritance tax purposes, like it, but also it's uh, that it becomes the beneficiary's money on on, on their 18th birthday. Is, am I right in thinking that's it's still technically it sits with the person putting the money in until until they're 18 is that right yeah so providing that the level of contributions are within the the gifting allowances that you've got in any one year um into say your your child's or or grandchild's isa um it can be free of inheritance tax if you're within those those gifting limits and you're right to say that when a child turns 18, their junior ISA becomes an adult ISA. Um, so their their allowance will automatically increase and that and at that point they can have access to the funds as well. So great for planning some of those significant life events that happen earlier on in our life, you know, education fees for higher education, um, buying first cars, deposits on houses, um, really powerful for those kind of things. And and I guess the, what the benefits of the ISA, of course, um, I guess this is for any investment fundamentally, is it's about regular, it's about being, it's about regularly putting money in ultimately. 
and yes, there's the returns from from the investment, but there's also obviously the 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 eighth wonder of the world of, of compounding, of course, which also can can significantly increase the, the value of your ISA if if you're playing over the longer term. Absolutely, yeah. It's it, we we often find ourselves just playing out illustrations of that because it re, you are right to refer to it as a wonder of the world. You know, it's it's where good habits can pay dividends in the long run. So constantly paying into an ISA over a long period of time um, can really yield benefits. Fantastic. So, so we've, we've so we've looked at ISAs, and obviously, like I said, as we approach the uh, as we approach the end of the, the tax year end, it's certainly something for people to consider if they don't have an ISA. Maybe look at potentially creating one if they do have an ISA. You know, certainly now is the time if 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 they're so minded that you know, the opportunities there for them to 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 make further contributions up to their their allowance of twenty thousand pounds. So we're also looking at. So we also wanted to talk very to quickly today about uh, personal savings allowances, and, and, and ultimately, and again, we've touched on this in uh, as regards to the the high inflation, the high the inflation, the high inflation environment that we're in at the moment is is being smart with your cash. Absolutely, yeah, and it, I think this is much like the rise of the the ISA allowances over time. This is an area that is not discussed enough in in our eyes in terms of the allowances that you do have for any interest that you've earned. Um, effectively, it means you don't have to pay tax on, on some of the interest that you earn from cash savings. Most of our clients will be familiar um, and I hope they would agree that we are big advocates of keeping a sufficient emergency fund in cash. Um, you know, we don't know what's around the corner and having a sufficient rainy day fund is just back to one of those principles of good financial planning. Um, one of the slightly more annoying bugbears that I know that I have and other advisors in the practice have as well is that in the same vein that we know ISAs are generally good news, most providers of cash ISAs are aware that people will habitually fund their cash ISA and therefore the interest rates offered on cash ISAs tend to be less than you would get in a general savings account. And whilst the tax environment is good for, for cash ISAs, the benefit can sometimes be lost when we consider the personal saving allowance that we've got. So we may not need to use a cash ISA. Uh, we could hold it in a general cash savings account and then use our personal savings allowance to offset uh any interest that's earned so as a rule of thumb and, and this will of course change as as interest rates go up and tax rates change but based on the current situation so a basic ra basic rate taxpayer could hold 149,000, say in cash and based on the current available interest rates they would pay no tax because the interest earned would be within their personal savings allowance uh, a higher rate taxpayer their allowance it is less uh, it falls slightly so they they could still hold a significant amount of cash so 74,000 for example in cash savings uh, which again would the interest earned would be subject to a test against tax but well within their personal savings allowance so effectively tax-free interest for them um, just to, to cover off a point I said there Alan uh, basic rate taxpayers can earn up to a thousand pound in in interest in in any one year 
uh, and higher rate taxpayers £500 in any one year before they have to start paying tax uh, on that earned interest. Uh, unfortunately, additional rate taxpayers um, don't receive the personal savings allowance or, or it's zero. Uh, so not something that they can make use of, unfortunately. So, I mean, that's interesting. Cause when we, so when you look at the, um, the personal savings allowance, you just touched on that. There's something that I know we, we talk about a little bit about, which is been sometimes mentioned, which is this this 60% tax trap, and um, which kind of ties into this. I just wonder if you could kind of touch on that and how that could potentially impact those who maybe don't take them, or, or certainly, you know, maybe there's some actions that they might want to take that they, they don't realise that they're going to be almost double taxed sometimes on, on these. Yeah, I guess this is the, 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 the third and final thing that's not spoken about enough uh, is, <laughs> is as you, you earn more, um, there is potential for you to lose your personal allowance, which not everyone's aware of. So if your earnings uh, were to increase beyond 100,000, um, for every two pounds of earnings you have over 100,000, you actually lose a pound of your, your personal savings allowance. So in the current tax year, if you, as soon as your earnings go over 125,140, you effectively have no no personal savings, sorry, no personal allowance left. Um, so effectively anything between 100,000 that you've earned and 125,140 is taxed at an effective rate of 60%, which can be avoided with some careful planning or, or minimised if, if the opportunity arises. So one way of, of potentially minimising that double taxation in effect is making pension contributions to reduce our earnings. So if there is scope to make a pension uh, contribution that would effectively bring your overall earnings below uh, or down to 100,000, uh, it means you don't start to lose your personal allowance, which can be a massive, um, a massive win for people that are caught by that trap. Fantastic. Well, Sam, I mean, that's been really, really interesting, really hugely informative. As I, as I mentioned earlier, this is the first of two, uh, two podcasts that we're going to be doing um, over the next few weeks in the run up to the tax year end. And, and in our, our next edition, we're going to be we're going to be looking at pensions in a bit more detail. We're going to be looking at dividend tax. We're going to be looking at some changes in capital gains as well that are coming. So um, hopefully our listeners have, have enjoyed today and found it informative. And, and, and please do look out for uh, the next edition of Pennycast, which will be, like I say, the uh, we'll be looking again at the some other issues around tax year end. So it just falls to me to say thank you ever so much, Sam, for joining me today. Um, and um, I look, hopefully, well, you'll be joining us again soon for um, another edition of Pennycast. Perfect. Thanks very much, Alan. Great stuff. Thanks, Sam. And um, thank you, everybody, for listening.